Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners, and we've been practicing together for a couple of years, and we're excited to share our passion for rope with you, and we live in Thailand. Yes, Maya, we do live in Thailand, and the rainy season is almost over, so we can start rope in the sun again. Uh, Today we are welcoming again our good friend, the professor Julie Fennell, which we already interviewed a little while ago. Uh, She's an academic and a kingster, and... On the previous interview with her, we talked about the research and the academic side a lot, but we'd like to uh, talk to her a bit more about her experiences as a rope bottom and the work she's done in education in that area, among other things. So welcome back, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so Julie, you are both a rope bottom and also a rope top, is that correct? Uh. I would say I'm, I'm an accomplished rope bottom and I'm an aspiring rope top. I, I definitely don't have a lot of rope topping skills. <laughs> so what's uh, what's your history of um, like navigating between the two and which one did you start as and how did that evolve for you? So I guess I initially started long, long ago when I was dating a girl who really liked to be tied up and um, and teased. And so I was like, eh, I'm game. So I learned a couple of quick ties for her, and then um, everything that happened after that pretty much was mostly me rope bottoming for a very long time. And then eventually I started like learning a few things about rope topping. I'm a very good rope top for one specific thing, which is something that I love to do um, called rope escape games, where you tie someone really fast. Like and You have two minutes to tie someone, and then they have two minutes to get out of it. And I just love to watch people struggling in my rope. Like, it just makes me really happy in all of the right places. So I got very good at that. Um, and I can't, I'm not, I'm no good at escaping myself. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get out of the rope. <laughs> so I'm, I'm lousy on the bottom side of that game. Um, but I love to watch people struggle to get out of my rope. So that's that's the thing that I'm good at rope topping, but in general I've I've mostly been a rope bottom and of late I haven't really gotten to do much of anything, which is unfortunate for a lot of life and scene related reasons. Hmm. But most of my experiences is a bottom. Um in, in your writing I saw that you used to bottom more, but you made an, an active decision to shift your energy more from rope bottoming to topping. So can you talk a little bit about why that happened? What what was the decision? Why did you make that decision? Well, there were a number of reasons why I at least intellectually made the decision, but I can't honestly say that I really followed through with it for, as I say, a lot of reasons. But basically, I got older, and um, my body just isn't quite up for the same kind of abuse that it once was. And uh, and then on top of that, it just it seemed like um, a lot of the people that I would go to to play with were more interested in tying people who were about 10 years younger than me. So, yeah, I was like, well, I feel like I would rather, I always intended to try to to become a rope top, but I have so far really failed to do so. Um, 
Yeah, it's a nice aspiration, but I can't I can't honestly say that I, I did a great job succeeding in that transition, but I blame the demise of the American BDSM culture in particular for that. Okay, so, so you wanted to, like you made an intellectual decision, okay, I'm going to shift my energy, but then in reality it just didn't happen because of opportunity or like... Yeah, Again, we're outsiders to that community, so we we don't we're not oh, well, the way you are. I mean, I think I think it's pretty easy to see the the dumpster fire that has been the rope community in in America for the last year and change. So, and just to give you a sense of how bleak it's been, the last rope event I presented at that was a rope event was a Bondage Expo Denver in September of. 2017 so just a little over a year ago and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of the other presenters and um, two people had been kicked out right before the event within the lot in like the two months preceding the event it had to sort of emergency replace them and I'd say of the people who were sitting at that table who were still left there for lunch definitely both of the people who were on both sides of me got kicked out. Another guy got kicked out. So I'd say like half of the people I was sitting with who were presenters who were still left at that point um, had gotten kicked out. So kicked out for been... uh, consent related issues or for something else? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was all a variety of consent related stuff. And, you know, they varied in wildly varied in level of seriousness and, uh, it's been really hard, and like all over America, I mean, I think we're just sort of struggling with a lot of our political and economic situation right now, and it's it's had a really bad impact on the BDSM scene overall, and the rope subculture has definitely suffered the most. And they, you know, they had a lot of issues. There's no question, but um, I've, I've lost my mentors, and I've lost a lot of the opportunities that I used to have to tie, and I've lost along the way a lot of motivation so eh. you can come to thailand and tie here anytime you want <laughs> yeah i'll get right over there i hear you guys have a political situation of your own but <laughs> uh, actually it's, it's quite good like i can't say we've had any problems in that area but... all right but uh yeah i know i it's it's been it's been a rough rough year for people in the rope community and I'm just I think a lot of people are very discouraged and all three of like my primary rigor mentor people um two of them were kicked out and the other one was like I can't even I just can't even anymore so I don't really have a lot of rigors to work with, and then I just also don't have many people around me to uh, work on the tying of the elk. So, yeah, it's been it's been a rough year. So in this context, and keeping that in mind, you have advocated quite a bit for people caring more about rope bottoming. What what does that yeah. mean to you? Well, so when I first started. Um, many years ago, there was not any real notion that rope bottoming was a skill. It was just literally, you know, people would stand there in the dungeon and I'd even, you know, the person who I, I've worked the most with, Murphy, Murphy Blue, like he would go to an event called uh, Floating World and they'd give him a rig. He, he would volunteer, he'd set up, and then they would just give him a rig the entire event 
And he would literally just stand there tying up pretty much anybody who asked, right? Like, no matter how little or no experience they had, he would suspend them. And, you know, on average, he did, like, at least 15 scenes across the three days. But I think he often got as high as, like, 30. Like, it was it was a lot of people. And, uh, you know, in some ways, I really have always a lot of admiration for him and that. And at the same time, I watched it, and I thought, this is a real problem because people don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got really good at doing, like, a very easy intro, like, hands-free suspension. Like, he's very good at that. But a lot of people aren't very good at that. And they would still emulate him and try to do the same thing, which was really problematic. Mm. And um, and when I started getting more into rope bottoming, the first, like, real hardcore rope bottoming scene that I did she can find a picture of on my FetLife profile was with Murphy and it was, it was emulating a tie that Lou Rubens had done many years before where um, Maria, I forget her last name is suspended upside down to a bamboo pole and she's in a split and there's a stirpato and uh, it was gorgeous. And I saw pictures of it and I was like, Oh, can we do that? And he was like, I have no idea, (laughs) (laughs) but why not? And uh, he's like, you have to be able to sit in a split for at least eight minutes go. And so, like, you know, I went over to a mat with some friends, and they sat there with, like, a timer. And I was like, I sat for a split for eight minutes. <laughs> he was like, okay. I mean, if you can sit in there with no rope for eight minutes, let's hope that you can sit there without rope for, like, 16, which is how upside long Upside down, right? Also. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it wasn't tied upside down, right? But, uh, and so, you know, after that, I was, that was the scene that had me hooked. Like once I once I did that, I was I was addicted. And uh, so it was half a joke, but it was half for real. I was like, I would tell him, or I would tell a couple other people, I was like, you know how riggers have this idea in their head of like a tie that they want to do, but they think to themselves, I'll never be able to find anyone who can do that. Like I want to be that girl who can. And uh, Murphy's joke there was, so you want to be every rigger's wet dream? I was like, yes. <laughs> And uh, so I devised, like, a whole training regimen for myself of, and I had a long background in dance, and I'd done pole dancing, and, uh, like, I was very flexible, and so I devised a pretty complex training regimen, and so at that time, it was, like, 2011, no, it was 2012 by that point, um, and I was telling people, yeah, you know, when I train for rope, blah, 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 and people would just give me this look, and they'd giggle, they're like, you train for rope? Like, yeah, and uh, and at that point, it was, like, me and, like, two other people who I talked to who were training for rope, right? There was, like, me, there was Diamond, who's Murphy's long-term partner, um, and one of his other partners, uh, Bomber Girl, and uh, Fuoco, who I never actually have met, and uh, and that was, like, it was kind of it on FetLife, at least, that I recall seeing when I talked to people, if, like, people were like, yeah, I trained for rope. And um, and everyone else was like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, then things progressed, and like I started seeing more and more people get like a little serious, but in my opinion, not serious enough about robotoming as as an art form, and recognizing that you know this actually took skill to be able to do. And I got really frustrated a lot of times when I would do something that was like super super complicated, but people would treat it like 
and it was just some sort of like masochistic talent, right? Rather than mm-hmm. something that was like an athletic skill. And um, as I saw more and more people like were commenting on my photos, they're getting interested, and uh, they still weren't getting it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I think we can do better, right? Like there's there's definitely um, there's definitely got to be ways for us to to think about this more strategically. People are getting hurt. I felt like a lot of people's consent was getting violated. I was like, these are all things that we can prevent. And and you know, I, I started to have more and more of a sense of rope bottoming as a skill. And so as I became really committed to the idea of teaching rope bottoming, I set off on this really weird quest. Where basically for a year, I let anyone who asked tie me up. Mm. Um, and because uh, at that point pretty much the only people who had ever really tied me up much were uh, Murphy Blue and Celeste Lucia, who are both fantastic, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful riggers. And um, and I wanted to do Murphy's, Morpheus Bondage Extravaganza and a couple other things. And so I was like, I'm just going to let anybody and everybody tie me up. And, and I, why? I teach... what, what was the, what's the purpose of that? Well, because I wanted, I figured if I, if I let people who were not especially skilled tie me up, then I would have to become more conscious of the skills required by me at the bottom in order to protect myself in situations where people weren't actually that skilled. So at that point, like the only class that I'd ever seen on rope bottoming uh, was taught by Tifereth with Canon, uh, rope with demo tapping for her. And I was like, most of us do not have Canon living in our basement. Like we can't, this is not, this is not actually practical in terms of, like what do we? What do like nine nine? What do the ninety nine percent of root bottoms have to work with? And so I wanted, and you know, I mostly tied with Murphy, who's clearly in the in the one percent there. And so I was like, I want to know what it is like yeah. to tie with ninety nine percent, and uh, I want to see. I want to become more conscious of the skills required from me in order to be good at what I do with them. But did, you, did you run did into problems when you ran that experiment of tying oh, with yeah, absolutely. Oh, I lots of problems. Like, I mean, it was, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a post a while back, but I never actually posted on FetLife. It was like the, this is the six people I will never tie with again. And uh, it's very sarcastic. And it was based on a post someone else had written about, like, the six people that they, the ten people they would never mm. have sex so with again. Archetypes, right? They were the arch- yeah, they really did kind of become archetypes of like what what the problems are. But in identifying the problems, I felt like I was able to better teach other people what to look out for, and I just wouldn't have known. And can, can you uh, run us I, through what the six hashtag bad rigor archetypes are? Uh, yeah, hang on, let me find the post really fast so I don't like lose. I mean, it's gonna be a road podcast it's exclusive. Really... It's not even fit <laughs> life. I'm friends with like all of these people on FetLife and I'm sure that they would realize who they were hmm. if they read my post. So I never actually posted it to FetLife, but I did post it to uh, the Root Bottom Share Group, which is what I'm currently trying to find real fast. But my computer's being slow. Um, I mean, I can tell you a few of them. So like... One of them was a guy that I tied with, and um, I told him that I really loved strapados. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I refer to him in my own head as, as sort of a turtle, right? So he's just tying so slowly. And he's also tying way beyond his skill level, which is another general symptom of, of problems there. And so uh, 
he gets all the way down the strapado and it's taken him forever to tie it. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are at strapados, you know, your, your hands start to go to sleep pretty mm. fast. And, um, and so I, uh, he's like just barely done with it. And I was like, so I, I just, I just want to let you know, this is, this is my five minute warning, right? He hasn't even gotten me up in the air yet or anything. He's only mm. just finished tying this. And, um, and so he was like, uh, he got kind of indignant. He's like, I thought you liked strapados. <laughs> yeah. I was like, and I, and I, I wanted to be really snarky and be like, I do when they're tied well, which this one was not. And, uh, and then and I was like, well, I mean, I do, but this is just, you know, where I am. And, uh, he was like, well, it worked fine this weekend when, we're going tied it, and I was thinking in my head, we're not. We're going, <laughs> which is how I titled him in my my very sarcastic uh, my my very sarcastic writing about all of this. As soon as he was not Gorgon. Um and people, to be fair to this human, a number of other people commented that he seemed to have gotten a lot better over time, which is which is great. Like communicating is a thing, right? Like yep. that is a thing that tops have to learn how to do. And, um, yeah. Oh, right. Yep. So, okay. Here, I found my post. So, number six is I, I never felt unsafe because the ropes just fell off. Um, <laughs> so person tied at we least two guy. chest harnesses <laughs> and a food mom. All of them just slid right off of me oh, while damn. I stood there. Uh, I joked that it was like trying to get fucked in the belly button by a guy whose dick wouldn't get hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and actually... I, I said that, that I would tie with this person again because I actually they were very mature about it. They were they were like, I'm so sorry, like I don't know what's going on and they were they were they were very graceful. They tried to call they they called the scene. Like they were not they were they did all of the right things that mm. one could do in that position. But uh, I, I titled that rigging most in need of Viagra. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this rope podcast and sharing it with you. Sadly, hosting a podcast isn't free. Far from it, actually. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay, too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now, back to our normal programming. The guy that I tied with... Um who I titled the the most irapey, um, who like I I, I then I, some of this was my own fault. I, I didn't have a lengthy. I mean, I was also sort of practicing not really engaging in extensive negotiations with people. Um, but uh, yeah, so so he tied me up, and you know we negotiate ahead of time. He's like, oh, what are you okay with? I was like, well, you know, you can touch me anywhere other than my underwear and you know especially when I always tell people it's like whatever you need to do to keep me safe and uh, and so you know I've told him it's okay for him to touch me anywhere that's not my underwear which to be fair that he follows through but a his rope is just terrible and b it's clear that he is tying me up because he really 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 wants to fuck me and I had zero interest in having sex with him. And his rope was really bad. Did I mention his rope was really bad? So, like, <laughs> I, like I spent the whole time then being tied up with him, just, like, super uncomfortable feeling. He's just, un 
I mean, I'm already undressed, but feeling like he's like stripping my skin off with his eyes. And uh, I was in such a hurry to get out of there that I was like helping him untie me. <laughs> it was really, it was really awkward. Um, yeah. Oh God. I've done a couple of demos now um, where, where the person who is doing the demo, I, I intentionally do demos in classes with people demo topping for me who've never tied me before, which is a lot to ask from them. Um, but I, in this particular instance, like this, this person tied me in a strapado that my partner was watching and he was so, my partner was so upset. Like he nearly called the scene because like, there are ways to tie a strapado and, and as a partial suspension where somebody is not going to be at serious risk of mm-hmm. like yanking their shoulders out. Mm-hmm. And uh, this person did not tie it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my partner was like, my boyfriend was there the whole time. He's just like biting his nails watching. I was like, no, I knew I'd be fine. He was like, oh my God, I was so worried the whole time watching you. <laughs> that was not good. And then uh, he, the, the person was like a pretty, they were doing a good job of entertaining the audience, which is why I gave them the honorary title of the good entertainer, bad rigor. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last person who is definitely at the top of the list is a uh, person I gave the honorary title of good time cowboy Casanova to, who was, you know, did a fantastic job of tying and had sex with me and just fucking ghosted. <laughs> and like super awkward way. No explanation. Very, very weird. The only time in my life anyone's ever done that to me. And, and, and uh, like no, no, no followed aftercare or anything. Like just. Oh no, no, no! It wasn't like that. No, it was just like, oh yeah, I totally want to play with you again. Like this is great. And and then one more time. And then after that, it's just. And still after that, it's like, oh yeah, we have to do this next time. And then. Not even crickets, right? Just nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> super awkward every time okay so that's quite a lot of um interesting and somewhat dense in some ways experiences so how so it's a bit like the the commando survival week right so apparently apparently at some point they drop you on the desert island and you have to survive for a week and you you like that's the the ultimate step of your training so you kind of did that as a robot too i did i did so how uh, from from that um, and I guess other things, you put together what is a very thorough, one of the most thorough I've seen, rope bottoming bottoming curriculum. So can you can you tell us a bit about that and especially, I guess the less typical aspects that you you've included in your curriculum? Yeah. So what happened was I went to uh, NARX, the North American Rope something something. There's a bunch of it was, it was a pseudo-unconference for people who are very serious about rope, and um, I just kept sitting down and picking the brains of all of the brilliant people around me and uh, taking copious notes. So people who contributed extensively were uh, topologists, Shattered Pulse, um, and probably, oh, I person who was formerly known as Tondra. I don't, I'm not, I think that's the name they're still using. Um, and so like we all sat around and brainstormed a lot. And the thing that we started with was what are the skills that uh, one needs to be an experienced rope bottom. And then from there, we started brainstorming a little bit about ways that we would go about teaching that or had gone about teaching that. And so, um, I posted the list of skills and some of our general recommendations for all of FetLife to see so that people could 
come up with their own ideas. And then I started developing uh, my own class curriculum list. Well, we actually developed the class curriculum list while we were there, um, but then actually trying to strategize the ways to teach it. So part of what I did intentionally, differently myself, was to uh, try to teach how to get suspended by someone that you don't know, which was, I say, part of why I went on that bizarre quest, um, instead of tying, like what happens when you tie with a long-term partner. So when I teach that class, I always do my demo with someone who's never suspended me before, which is always interesting, yeah. Um, and then... Uh, which, you know, has its ups and downs for sure. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, and then I, mean, I talk about, like, how to assess rigors. And then as I go through and I tell people who are going to demo top for that, I'm like, you have to be comfortable with me critiquing your rope in front of other people. And so, like, one person who did that job, like, they were doing a really terrible job. So a couple of my friends who were very experienced in the back were, like, literally just in the back row giggling. Like, they're just like, this is so bad, you know. And this... But, you know, I told I, – I, I was like, I will not sacrifice my safety for the sake of a demo. And so I was, like, making this person re-die a TK, like, over and over again on me. So sometimes the demo goes great and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and it is one of the skills – giving feedback in a constructive manner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, I mean, so that one is a little bit less about the giving feedback in a constructive manner and much more about trying to assess for yourself. Like, Don't what give point me do you need wish to... drop. Yeah, yeah. It's way more about ass assessing your personal safety. And I warn, I warn people before they do that demo. I'm like, you got to be up for getting critiqued in front of a room full of people. Like, that's... This is not this is not so much about the constructive feedback part of it, which is what another one of my classes is. This is way more about like how how someone can be tied by you for the first time and decide whether or not they're okay. Um, and a lot of the rigors who've done that with me were like, oh my god, that was amazing! Like it was so cool to like hear you go through that assessment, and um, you know it was really rewarding to. The ones who succeeded were like, oh, this was really, really rewarding <laughs> to succeed in this, like, challenging thing in front of this room full of people. Running um, the gauntlet. Yeah, no, I think they have, I think a lot of the people who've come out of that was sort of like this, like, wiping the sweat off the brow. <laughs> like, wow, I just, like, ran, like, a really hard challenge, but, you know, a very rewarding one. Um, so the demo tops have, have often been especially positive about their experience of that. Um, but, I mean... Frequently when it, tops come to my classes a lot, they're like, it's just so cool to, like, hear an experienced rope bottom go through and assess, like, all these things that I never hear someone talk about because their own rope bottoms aren't as experienced. So what else uh, What else is in that curriculum? Uh, so that, so the sure? first, yeah, so and the class that I teach that's by far the most popular is my inter, what I call my intermediate rope bottoming class. And that one has a lot of, like, very practical skills, one of which apparently, like, has become known by name as IP cookie monsters over communication exercise, which I think was the best thing that I devised. And uh, it consists of um, a situation in which the rigger is basically not allowed to talk to the rope bottom. I mean, they're not like forbidden from saying anything, um, but they're supposed to do the, the rope bottom is supposed to basically be talking continuously while going through a challenging tie and assessing absolutely everything. So telling the rigger, like, 
everything about how they feel physically, emotionally, um, through it, like practicing things like guessing how long they have left. And during all of this like babble, the rigor is supposed to occasionally pronounce things with like ding of that's actually useful. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I, it, it only really works well for challenging ties. It doesn't work for like slow sensual rope. It's just sort of weird for that. But for if you're doing stuff that are, are relatively um, sadistic ties, it's, it's really helpful. It also forces you to be able to talk through pain and practice talking through pain, mm, which is an incredibly important skill for, for rope bottoms. And um, you know, if you do the super advanced version of it, like you can get a timer beside you or like, yeah, that you have someone nearby with a timer while you're guessing how long you have left or how long you've been in it. And somebody's telling you whether or not you were right. Um, but yeah, so I, People apparently find that to be an incredibly productive exercise. Both tops and bottoms uh, say that it's it's really helpful. But I also use that class to teach people sort of how to use music to estimate time. Um, because almost nobody can just stand there and be guessing in total silence how long they've been doing anything. Um, especially if you're in pain. But if you have music, then it's a lot easier. And then I, then I have people practice doing that. And um, then I have an advanced rope bottoming class where I teach people some of the stretches that I've used to train for rope. And then I demo a very complicated tie. Like I all of, like we, we sit down, we negotiate it in front of the class so that they can see how we negotiate that. And I show for them the fact that it's usually a very collaborative process if you're doing a really complex, physically challenging, dangerous tie. Um, so yeah, those are the three classes that I teach the most. Oh, and then I have another class that I love to teach that's not exactly a rope bottoming class per se, but it's called Negotiating the Communication Chasm Between Riggers and Rope Bottoms, <laughs> which people also really they seem to get a lot out of. Um, basically, I talk about the way that rope subculture only ever really developed a vocabulary for rope tops. We never developed to talk about the things they like. It never really developed a vocabulary for rope bottoms to talk about the things they like. And um, and then, like, the ways that we fail to teach each side how to effectively communicate with the other. And uh, then we, like, sort of work through some of the ways to do that better. Honestly, the classes sound pretty awesome, and I wish I could mm. attend some of them. But, uh, well, we live in <laughs> Thailand, so we can. Me too. Uh, I'm sure some people live in the U.S., but in some uh, states that uh, are more remote or it's more difficult to access in-person classes... What would you recommend they do in that case? Like, what can they do from home as a rope bottom to gain access to uh, to some of those skills? I mean, to be honest, I, I feel like it's just like with rope topping, right? Whatever you're doing to gain access to your rope topping skills in your isolation, like, you're going to have to be applying some of the same ideas to rope bottoming. So some of the things that I think are important are actually labbing rope bottoming. So typically when people are doing lab stuff, they mostly only lab on behalf of tops. Um, but if you want to become an experienced, skilled rope bottom, you have to have some lab sessions that are much more focused on what it is that you need to develop. Um, and, I mean, in terms of actual class structure, I'm going to be publishing all of my class notes come 
June. <laughs> I'm planning to officially retire-ish from teaching robotoming in June, so I'm just going to publish all of my class notes, and I might actually do some videos at that okay. point. Okay, so if we can wait to 2019, we can uh, we can. You can wait to 2019, <laughs> and if I actually follow through with my videos, then I, we'll see. I don't know. I don't have anyone to time me, so it would be pretty hard to, to follow through with some of the videos, but I will at least make some short videos explaining some of the exercises that I have in there. Um, but honestly, I think you're playing with fire if you never get a chance to talk to other rope bottoms who get suspended, right? Like, it's really, I think it's problematic if you are suspending people and you don't know anybody else who does that, right? Like, you need feedback from people who know something about what it is that you're doing, and the same goes for rope bottoming. Like, you need serious rope bottoming. Obviously, you just want to be tied to a bed, whatever, but, like, if you want to be doing, like, serious suspension stuff, like, with your hands tied up, like, you need to be talking with people who also learn to manage their bodies that way. Um, and I, I mean... There's only so far, I think, that you can get with rope in isolation if you have no context. I mean, if you have online videos or whatever, I guess it's different. But um, Do you feel the um, rope bottoming groups on FetLife and the uh, discussion groups, things like that, do you think any of those are useful? Oh, absolutely. And so like, there's a rope bottom share group, there's rope bottoming groups on FetLife. I mean, this has become way more of a community than it was when I started teaching. And my goal was always to create a thing that would people would pick up and I wouldn't have to do it for very long. <laughs> I knew that I was only going to do it for a couple of years. And um, it's great because, like, every kink event that I went to last year uh, in 2018, I think there was a class on root bottoming. And mm. I didn't teach it at any of them except one of them. So. Okay, so quite a big change then in terms of the uh, makeup of conferences. Um, one of the things yeah. I wanted to just pick up on, which I found quite interesting, was this distinction that you make between uh, concrete skills in rock bottoming and soft skills. And you talked about uh, rock tops tending to be focused more on concrete skills and bottoms more on soft skills. So what does that mean and why is it important? So um, most of the time when we've taught negotiation typically we've told tops how to stand there and extract information from bottoms about what it is that they like and then we didn't teach bottoms to do the same thing which I think is a travesty um so and, and sometimes this is even at the most basic level right like uh tops I'll ask will ask are taught to ask bottoms, you know, about their injuries or health concerns and where they're allowed to touch. And I'm like, these things all apply to bottoms asking their tops as well. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it still matters if your top might have an asthma attack while they're tying you up. And it ab yeah. tops absolutely have the right to consent to you touching them or not, right? And it's just never really been part of this discussion for most of our our history. And um and so tops, I think, aren't even taught oftentimes how to negotiate for what they want, which is deeply yeah. ironic given I, I the way agree. that we frame, given the way that we frame this as being about dominance and submission. Um, so yeah, so that's a lot of what my negotiation class is about, is sort of teaching tops how to negotiate for what they want and teaching bottoms how to uh, sort of stand up for the things that they often concede on. 
So soft um, skills for you would be more the behavioral, the behaviors, and yeah, so it's negotiation. Like how to buy and what stretches to do. Would that be right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So actually, I believe the person who originally drew that distinction, if I remember correctly, in all the talking was was actually topologist. Um, so basically, so like the sort of the hard skills are like stretching and like you know how to move your body so that it stays safe and like muscle control and your core especially as a way to protect yourself and not just for falling and slouching into ropes. Mm. Um, those would be sort of the more hard skills, and then the soft skills are the things like um, are the negotiation, but also like the in-scene information, right? Being able to know for yourself, like what's five minutes, being able to communicate that in a way that, you know, the other person still feels comfortable with. And those are all things that, um, I think of as being sort of more of the soft skills, but we've been very bad at teaching rope tops how to communicate. And I think it's a huge part of why there have been so many consent violations is because they were not taught to communicate well. So That would make sense. Okay, yeah, yeah. really interesting. Okay, thank you so much, Julie, for sharing your thoughts with us again today. Uh, where can we find you online to look at all your beautiful and interesting stuff? <laughs> So I'm on FetLife as IP Cookie Monster, and um, also on Twitter as IP Cookie Monster, and I have a blog called SlutPhD.com, and if the gods smile upon me, hopefully in the next year or so, I might have a book out called Please Scream Quietly, which will be um, about the recent, the sort of recent present of the BDSM subculture. I've been dying to ask you why the IP in IP Cookie Monster. <laughs> it stands for Imperious Princess. So long oh. before I was involved in rope, <laughs> I was a fire spinner. And I have a fire spinning troupe still to this day called Hubris. And uh, the rules of Hubris were that you had to have a silly name that was not given that, that was given to you. You did not choose it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And a pretentious title that you did not <laughs> choose for yourself but that was given to you and so I was dubbed the Imperious Princess Cookie Monster and lots of people in the scene knew me from my fire spinning by the time I got there so it was it was pretty it was pretty well stuck to me. I'm sort of trying to have to slowly rebrand myself with Slut PhD which was the name I picked for myself but in this scene Cookie <laughs> Monsters it's a sticky label. <laughs> okay that's, that's a nice story. So that's all from us today at the Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. So iTunes or Stitcher or so on. And come find us on our FetLife page, which is Rope Podcast, no space. You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on Fet, and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying. <laughs> <laughs>